This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology show. Your host, Meryl Vandermerva, loves using technology to streamline her life and to make lessons more engaging. She is a graduated homeschool mom and teaches homeschoolers at her local co-op classes and online at fundafundaacademy.com. Whether you are tech-challenged or someone who loves technology, this show is for you. And here's your host, Meryl Vandermerva. Hello and welcome to the Homeschooling with Technology podcast. This is your host, Meryl van der Merwe, and today in episode 155, we have a guest, Julie Bogart from Brave Writer, and she is going to be sharing her thoughts on screens and guilt. I know um, this is a topic that many homeschoolers and other people really struggle with, how much time to allow your kids on screens. And I have been following Julie on Instagram. Um, I do not know how long and I do not know why, but <laughs> but uh, I noticed her posting some things about this topic. And so, Julie, thank you so much for coming and joining us here today. Such a fun topic. Thanks for having me. So anyway, I saw Julie posting and it was about two or three months ago now. And I was like, oh, this would be great. Um, I know that you, my listeners, this is a topic you're interested in. And I reached out to her and she agreed to come on the show. So this is where we're at. So before we actually get into the topic, I just want Julie to tell us a little bit about her own homeschool journey and also about her website, bravewriter.com. So Julie, over to you. Thank you. Yeah, so I have five adult children. I homeschooled them for 17 years. Of the five, uh, several of them participated in the local public high school, either part-time or full-time. Uh, one of them tried it and hated it, and the others all varying amounts. Uh, but they all spent many, many, many years in home education. Today, I always think it's important to mention that they are all gainfully employed, <laughs> and they live... <laughs> all over the world. And one of them gave me a granddaughter. So I love them the most. Uh, my homeschooling experience led me to starting my company, which is called Brave Writer. Uh, I discovered fairly early on that many parents struggled teaching writing to their kids. In fact, one of my good homeschooling friends asked me to help her teach writing to her children. And it was then that I discovered that writing curricula were just not very effective. I grew up with a mother who is published. She's written over 75 books to date. And uh, I learned writing through sort of a lens of self-expression, writing voice, freedom, uh, it, you know, sort of a professional writing lens. And I didn't realize that so many adults actually felt stunted in their own ability to write and to teach writing. So in the late 1990s, I started being invited to speak on the topic of writing around homeschoolers. And by the early 2000s, I had launched my company, which is called Brave Writer. To date, we've served well over 100,000 families, and we've taught online classes for 21 years. And we have a range of manuals that you can purchase and download and use to teach your kids. So that's the background on my family and my company. Well, thanks, Julie. And um, I will put the link to her website, bravewriter.com, and as well as to her Instagram account, obviously, which I would suggest you follow. Uh, I've enjoyed following her over the last couple of months. And um, you can find all those links at homeschoolingwithtechnology.com. Okay, so let's get into today's topic. So 
let's start off and ask what makes video gaming, which is obviously the thing that kids spend a lot of time on screens doing, so controversial? So I think the problem for most parents is that video games and screens are a conversation between a child and a machine. And parents can't observe it. So imagine you have a child in your home and they invite a friend over and they decide to play a board game like Sorry or Clue or Monopoly. It's all out in public. You can overhear their chatter. You can see their hands rolling the dice. You can watch them argue over who gave the correct change. <laughs> you know, there's this feeling that the experience is happening sort of within your awareness and sort of even um, subtle supervision. And that you could even be a part of problem resolution, a child cheating, somebody not counting correctly, a person getting frustrated or upset. There's a feeling of parental participation, even if it's only through the remove of observation. But with screens, we don't get that. The child might even have headphones on. They're staring at something that is two-dimensional. There is a whole story taking place in the video game. There might be conversations happening in the type chat space. And the parent doesn't have access to any of that. So one, it feels less valuable simply because most parents don't know it intimately enough to know the value. And two, it feels dangerous. Like if I can't see it, how do I know it's safe? If I can't know it, how can I know that my child is not being negatively influenced? So most of the drama around screens, I believe, is because it feels like an invisible influence on our children. And we don't like invisible influences on our children. We want our children to be influenced by things that we see and deem worthy. So how do you go about uh, solving that problem? Say if you're a parent and you've, yes. you've got a gamer child and you don't have a clue. I, I, I had gamer children, but I gamed too. So that's... Well, <laughs> you just answered the first question. So honestly, one of the things I recommend to parents all the time is even if you're not a gamer, and I absolutely was not, I'm much older and uh, I'm turning 60 this year. So I did not grow up with computers or gaming, even Pac-Man, really, I missed it. I was already <laughs> heading to college when that became popular. So I, I am not a gamer. And what I realized is I didn't have a gaming vocabulary and I did not have a gaming imagination. And what helped me start to recognize why my kids loved it was to literally just pull up a chair and watch my child play a game, whether it was Halo or, you know, Wii Bowling or sitting down and even sort of confronting something like World of Warcraft, starting to actually watch the same way I watch the NFL or basketball or tennis, like to recognize that there is pleasure in watching an online competition. It was giving myself over to that experience a little bit at a time that I could at least start to appreciate why my kids were having fun and not just denigrate it as a waste of time. Right, so um, what does the current research actually say about video games? Such a great question. So interestingly, there is research that I think you can link in the show notes that would be helpful to your audience. Right. But one of the things that I discovered, I, I've just recently written a book, it's called Raising Critical Thinkers, A Parent's Guide 
to raising, oh, to, I have to reread my subtitle, Parents Guide to Growing Wise Kids in the Digital Age. And one of the things I discovered in the research is that during the early years of gaming, most of the research was written from a very worried perspective. So it was as though the researchers were looking for problems. They were trying to identify a link between violent behavior and violent video games, or between kids who are procrastinators and kids who actually study. They were looking for evidence that it was detrimental. But confirmation bias. <laughs> confirmation bias, for sure. Yes. And in some cases, some of these studies have really been proven to have been egregious. Uh, but what they are discovering now in some of these longitudinal studies, which have only been possible for 20 years, is that boys in particular who game are developing tools of emotional self-regulation. So mm. ironically, we are told that games lead to outburst behavior or violence or antisocial behavior, when in fact what they're discovering is that kids who are feeling disquieted or angry or emotional will turn to a game and it lowers the temperature of their emotions. They actually discharge that pent up adrenaline. And it kind of reminded me of like, when I feel amped up, I go for a run or I go for a swim. Maybe I go watch a movie that's even like an action movie, right? We do use Netflix, obviously, during the pandemic. We use exercise. We use games that we play, you know, tennis or pickleball or whatever to discharge that emotion. And what the research is showing is that gaming does that for kids. Even the supposedly violent ones like Mortal Kombat or Grand Theft Auto, those kids typically show higher well-being than kids who don't game at all. Now, before anybody asks me, what about gaming addiction? Addiction is a fairly loaded term, and there are some children who exhibit signs of that. But if you look at the billions of gamers that we have today around the globe, the level of misuse of gaming matches the misuse of other obsessions that kids develop to cope with emotional problems. So the real question is, what are those emotional problems? And how do we meet those rather than just discounting gaming as the source of the emotional problem? Right, because they could just as well, if the games didn't exist, there would be some other way they would manifest the addiction. That's right. 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 right, could be an eating disorder, could be cutting, could be other ways that right. they cope with whatever emotional overload is present in their lives. Right. So. Just looking at that, obviously, um, you know, teens do have, particularly teens do have uh, a propensity to go overboard on things. I, it wasn't that long ago when I had my own teens. So how can parents set healthy boundaries for screens, but at the same time, celebrating the good that a screen can bring to their child? I think it's especially important with teens to collaborate in that journey. So one of the things that we often do is we treat gaming time as a reward for good behavior elsewhere. And so what happens is our teens and our middlers cannot come to us when they are frustrated in a game or they feel like they need more time. They're worried that it will be taken away because it's only treated as a reward. What we really want is for our kids to feel about gaming the way they feel about being on a soccer team or a tennis team where they had a bad practice day and they're frustrated with their coach and they can turn to us 
and say, today was a frustrating day on the field. And we don't say, well, that's it. You can't be in soccer anymore because it's making you emotional or it's making you angry. What we really want to do is have times that are dedicated to gaming and that it can be something that a kid looks forward to. And it's not contingent on good behavior elsewhere. It should just be a meaningful part of their lives. So families resolve this many ways. One of the things I like to tell parents is you will never resolve it once for all time. Every year changes. You have more kids or fewer kids. You have more screens available or fewer, depending on your economics. So talk with your children periodically. Maybe you start with, okay, we have this one you know, uh, laptop computer that's for gaming and it's in the family room and everybody can have two hour turns and you have to sign up for them. And then you suddenly find out, this happened in my family, that you had kids waking up at midnight to sign up for two hour <laughs> turns because they were so afraid, you know, that somebody else would sign up before them. And so they're like sneaking down the stairs. Okay, obviously that was unworkable. So then we had to set up something that was more predictable and not so dependent on, you know, their anxiety. Like, all right, you are always going to have the computer 10 to 12 every Tuesday, no matter what. And they can just relax and know that time is coming and it's not being dangled in front of them as a reward or as something they have to protect from their siblings. So that's how I think about it. Some families will say, you know, we never do gaming before noon. Some say gaming is for four o'clock into the evening, right? Like, like that. You can set some organizing principles so that there are also times of day when the relief of having to make that decision is already made for them. You know, it's two, we don't game it two. So I will have to think of something else. That gives them sort of these discrete times, kind of like soccer practice. You're not playing soccer all the time. You know when it's coming, you go, you enjoy it, you come home and do something else. Right. My kids were really busy. And so ours was a little different. I never actually had any real boundaries apart from at one point my middle one middle school I got sort of dragged down and he, he was overdoing it and so I, I remember we had some boundaries for him for a while but they were so busy doing you know we were doing they were doing sports and 4-H and church stuff and you know it was just like so many things and then we always our homeschooling was fairly rigorous so there was plenty of that and they knew they had to get things done on time so that when they were done I didn't mind if they game, you know, the, you it go. wasn't like there were eight hours left. <laughs> so it, it no, was. I think that's such an accurate point because sometimes what's going on in a family is that the children don't have meaningful challenges. They don't have risks and adventures worthy of their devotion. You know, a big adult machine, like a computer with these big graphics and sounds and this adventure story that you're entering as a main character, that's compelling stuff. And if that is the only experience they have like that in their lives, they're going to cling to it. But what if your child was in indoor rock climbing or they were doing a martial art or they were in 4-H or like, I think just turn them loose with other machines. Like all my kids learned how to sew, including the boys. They learned how to knit. They learned how to make clay. They, they did other activities, mm -hmm. vintage dance, Shakespeare company that were equally risky equally adventurous. And so gaming took its proper place in their right. lives. It was not their only adventure. Yes, I, I see that entirely. So how can families use screens constructively? I would say that participating with your kids is the key. You don't have to sit down and play every game with them, but play with them. 
you know, once in a while, let them teach you. I remember uh, at one point, I'm a writing instructor, right? So I was wanting to teach my kids how to write an informational paragraph. And it suddenly dawned on me that instead of the, you know, sort of dry, uh, um, you know, tedious assignment of writing how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, they could teach me how to play uh, Rayman on the Wii, or maybe it was the Xbox. I can't remember, but I think it was the Xbox. Well, I, I didn't even know how to hold the controller. So literally they were like, okay, then push A, then push B. Oh no, mom, go back. And I was taking notes the whole time. And by the time we got done with it, they edited it into their own informational instructional paragraph. So put your kids in the driver's seat. Let them be the ones teaching you. You will be amazed at how much learning goes on. The vocabulary modifications, the adjustments to the instructions, the sense of expertise and triumph, all of that is valuable. And, you know, whether it's that or watching a Netflix, you know, series with your kids and talking about it afterwards, these are all forms of literacy that are part of their lives that are not going away and pretending like they're not there does not help them. So help them dive in deep, but with an adult partner. I love that. We we did that. I mean, we did. We we played computer games together and we watched movies together and you know, we we did field trips together and we have so many great memories now to look back yes. on. Um my kids always said they were the only children they knew who got video games assigned as homework because I would find ones like you know like we'd be studying the ancient world and we'd be playing civilization and they yes. played each each of the civilization as we went along. And and as you say, it's doing it together and discussing it and applying it, um, which gives your kids the skills to then, when they're watching things without you being there or playing games without you being there, they can actually bring everything that you've taught to bear on 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 those, um, you know, movies, Netflix series or games or whatever else. Because we're trying to raise kids who can leave home eventually and encounter this digital world that is just sending them unfiltered information. And it's in every area that they're in, whether it's a social media app like TikTok, or it's online and they're just reading an editorial or somebody's Substack. How do you know who to trust? How do you look at a source for its credibility? We're good at teaching how to look for source material to write an essay, but how often do we talk about what the source is and its credibility and what kind of messaging is part of that source's um, platform. So TikTok is a very different messenger, right? Than a Substack, which is different than an online news journal. And then of course, we've got a whole range of those, right? We might have a website that looks like it is a journalism site and it's actually a propaganda site. How do we help our kids differentiate between the two? That is all media literacy. It sounds like that's what your podcast really is devoted to. And what we really want is for our kids to know what kinds of questions to ask. It's not so much that we tell them in advance, okay, here's the list of safe things. And here's the list of unsafe things. That's going to change every year. They need to be able to know how to find benchmarks, what criteria to use when they're evaluating, and then how to ask the kinds of questions that get them the answers that advance their understanding. Right, and to finish up, do you have any specific recommendations for parents who might want more information about screens and kids? Yeah, actually, one of my favorite resources is on Instagram. 
Their name is Ash Brandon. And Ash is an educator who has formed her expertise, formed their expertise all around video gaming. They have all kinds of resources on their Instagram account, and they have a website, which I believe is listed in their bio on Instagram. But Ash is a fantastic resource. And I quote Ash in my book, in fact, because they provide such rich insight into how to parent while enjoying video games. I'm going to go straight away and follow. And uh, just those of you who aren't on social media at all, you can see um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, how many of our great guests I have found on Instagram. So Instagram does not need to be a place that you just, you know, go down some rabbit hole of useless things. It is actually... um, I like it more than Facebook, I must say. And it is, it is, it is a place where I really have, um, you know, found people to connect with and have learned a lot. And it's really easy because you can just, you know, pick it up once or twice a day when you just needing a little downtime and you can catch up with, um, I just feel it's not such a toxic environment. Well, at least not the people I follow. It's, right. it's, it's positive and learn a lot of new things. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming and sharing your uh, wisdom with us today. I will also link um, in the show notes to your book. I'm not sure if it has a website yet or if we need to have the name. Yes, it okay. does. The website is raisingcriticalthinkers.com. The book is in pre-sales right now. The website will launch on Monday, October 25th. And uh, yeah, it's already to go. It will come out on February 1st. That's the pub- publication date. Okay, well, that's, that's great. Um, so do go and look out for that. I'm definitely going to get the book and I do plan to review it once I get it. Thank so you. Um, th- that just sounds like something that all of us need. Well, thanks again. And I'm uh, really glad that you could come and speak to us. Lovely to speak with you. Thanks for having me. And thank you listeners for listening in again today. And I will see you again, same time, same place next week. Thanks for tuning in to Homeschooling with Technology with Meryl Vandermerva. Visit her at fundafundaacademy.com and homeschoolingwithtechnology.com. Homeschooling with Technology is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.